Well, greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 19 of the Clarity Podcast, a podcast to provide clarity and life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I am your host. Today, we continue on with our second segment of the Back Channel with Foth, and we're so excited that Dick is back with us to answer some listener questions. Dick, um, looking forward to our time with Back Channel with Foth. First question sent in was, number one, Life and ministry often has irregular rhythms and expectations that require flexibility and creativity to invest in family. How have you learned to navigate that tension within your own family? Well, do you, do you have any other question you could ask me? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my gut response to that question is sometimes not so well. Yeah. And Part of it is that sometimes you feel you have juxtaposed uh, callings. So you're called to follow Jesus. You're called to mission and ministry. You're called to be married to that person. So you have this sort of feels like conflict of callings. And, um, you know, I can, I can remember, I can remember as a young pastor, particularly when you're young and you're trying to, you know, make your chops and all that sort of stuff. If somebody calls, you're on it. And you're. And I remember walking into my office one day in the church at that time, this was about, I don't know, six or eight years into the pastorate, walked in one day and, and my secretary kept my, um, kept my calendar. She would be called an admin now. And um, at four o'clock, there was an appointment with Ruth Foth. And I called home and I said, Ruth, what you, you called for an appointment. What is there a, something wrong? So she said, no, no, but, but we get so little time together. I thought I'd just get on your schedule. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that when she does stuff like that, because it brings home the point. So well, wow. So, um, I think the principle here, the most important principle is that, Family and ministry should not be oppositional. It's mm, good. They're not over. They feel oppositional one time because you only have twenty-four hours in the day and you want to go win the world by Tuesday. I, I get that, right? Uh, but the doorway to long-term productivity in ministry is through the doorway of family. Hmm. I have a thing that we do here every once in a while called Foth and Friends, where three or four guys come in, spend a couple of days, we'll hang out, go up in the Rockies and do stuff. And, and we say that, you know, anything's game for talking about. You have some questions. I got some questions of you. Let's talk. Almost always the first question that comes up is, how do you ham handle the tension between family obligations and ministry obligations? Hmm. And I just say, you, you need to understand in your head that your first line of ministry is your family. It is your spouse. It is your kids. And it, it doesn't have as much to do with quantity of time, although Ruth would challenge that. <laughs> I, said that one, I said that one time in a marriage seminar, and Ruth raised her hand and said, I said, what you need is quality time. And she raised her hand and said, why don't you give me the quantity? We'll worry about the quality later. Wow. And well, and she's a quiet person. You know, she's a, she doesn't um, just jump in and talk every moment. So I took that comment seriously. 
but I think that to the degree that our family is understood to be the foundation of ministry, it, then it's not oppositional. And I think as our children grow, for them to understand that it's um, this, the sense of mission is important. And I just, um, I just think about folks around the world and how oftentimes missionary kids are really engaged in stuff that goes on yeah. there on the field, as we say as with any work in it, but more so in overseas missions because of travel, the, the, the challenges are greater because of travel and the length of terms and conditions and cultures and language. I'm a third culture kid. Okay. Yeah. I'm a missionary kid. My first few years were in South India. And so I get that. But I think if, if, if you and your spouse have quality conversations, even if they're late at night, <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to have quality conversations late at night. And <laughs> I'm in bed, 11 o'clock, 1130, and Ruth says, let's, let's talk. And I said, what? Why do you in bed? You know, why do you always want to talk at night? And she, in, in the dark, I could see her grinning. And she just, sometimes, and she, she'd say, because that's the only time you're home. Hmm. So, the, you know, those are sort of the practice of how yeah. that works. Yeah, I, good. I just thought of this. I carry this in my wallet and I don't want to drag this out. But years ago, when I, I think when on my 35th birthday, something like that, I, I was a young pastor blowing and going, doing all these things. And um, Ruth saw a picture of a water carrier from Asia where you carry the pole and get buckets of water and bring them in. And she wrote this piece of prose for me called Water Carrier. Water Carrier, you who carry buckets of sloshing cold water on strong shoulders, Sometimes the weight must tire you, drag you down, cause you pain. And there are those who would not understand, laugh at you, discourage you. Even I would take your hand, slow you down, hold you back. Water carrier, don't let any of us stop you. Keep on bringing us life. Hmm. That's good. I carry that with me. Yep. And, uh, but we... You keep having the discussions. I just want to encourage you folks. Ruth and I will have been married 47 years next month. Yeah. And I'm just, or 57 years, excuse me, 57 years. And you, you will have lots of discussions about that. <laughs> Second question. How did you learn to be emotionally present with your family while ministering with its demands that can often empty your tank. And that's kind of along the same lines of the first one, but the emotionally present part is, um, is, is important. So any other, any other wisdom and insight on, on the emotional presence? Cause you talked about being exhausted at the end of the day. How do we yeah. be emotionally present in the, in those situations? You know, I, I think, and I can only speak from my own experience, but Ruth and her focus and things like she wrote and her truth telling helped focus me. And, and all of our listeners know how it feels just to be wrung out at the end of the day, not, not with all the things you've done, but with all the things you didn't expect you were going to do. And they got thrown into the, th I mean, your calendar was good when you started at six in the morning and then, you know, there you go. Yep. And so, um, to have, to be able to tell each other the truth in ways that get the other person's attention 
Um, and there are lots of ways. I, you know, I've, I've been president of Bethany College for about a year, a lot of financial challenges. This is, I'm a 36 year old. This is back in 1979. And I walk in one day and we have these four kids under the age of 12 and there's toys on the front room floor. And my response, because there were messes where I'd worked all day, right? My response to the mess at home was, Ruth, how come there are always, keyword, how mm. come there are always toys on the front room floor? Mm. And she <laughs> looked, looked at me and looked at the kids and grinned and said, kids, you better get the toys picked up. Picked up. The president's home. <laughs> and I, you know, I take a sword right in the chest you know and some people would see that as sarcasm right <laughs> and, and i just took it as jehovah's nudge <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me so um in one time i remember walking in more than one time and 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 i was you know i wanted to be the godly guy but i was so tired and so there was the tone. Ruth says, I have a tone when I get tired. And I don't shout or anything, but I have a tone. <laughs> she, she took me inside and, and said, Dick, the kids and I have had a hard day too. Why don't you just relax for 20 minutes, go in the bedroom, whatever. And so we sort of came to an agreement that when I came home, it, especially this is true when the children are small, uh, that, that when I came home, there'd be 20 or 30 minutes sort of uh, downtime, just, just to let the day and the, and the other places uh, leak out, you know, sort of go away. And then we could engage. So it's sort of 30 minutes to take a deep breath. That's good. That's good. That's great practical wisdom and insight. And um, something I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to apply. Well, here we'll jump into our next interview today. We're sitting down with Dana Beggs, who is Greg Beggs' wife, and we're looking forward to sitting down with her and talking about family health. That's one of our, our values and capacities um, that we talk about on this podcast, the Clarity Podcast. We sit down with Dana and talk about life and, and mission and how what she's learned in her years serving and working in Africa. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, it's so great to be here today with uh, Dana Beggs on the Clarity Podcast. And so we're going to be sharing today um, about family health and the importance of family health. Uh, most of our listeners, listeners around the world, there's 45 countries listening in now. And, um, but we know that living overseas can be a challenge, um, whether we're in the United States or overseas, um, and balancing ministry and family health or, or work and family health all how all that works out. So Dana, most of the listeners know who you are, but for those who don't, would you just mind sharing just a little bit about yourself and um, maybe a little bit about your family? Sure. Dana Beggs and I grew up in the great state of Mississippi. I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and there I met Greg and we got married. We pastored for a couple of years and then in 1988, we went to Africa. And our first term in Africa, both our children, Nate and Nicole, were both born there in Africa, in Nairobi, Kenya. And it has been a wonderful journey. We lived 26 years in Africa, and I wouldn't trade a minute of it. Wow. It's been wonderful. Wow. 
So, um, you know, since the subject is family health, what was it like being uh, a pregnant mother? And so you had both of your children in Africa. Was there stress and tension in that with with being overseas? And because we many of our listeners are young families and uh, women and husbands and wives might be in that situation. How did God provide for you and give you clarity in a very stressful time of being uh, a new mother and um, and that whole process? When you ask me that question, I have one story that comes to mind. And one story that comes to mind is Nicole. So both of my kids were born early. Nate was two and a half weeks early. And Nate, Nicole was born almost six weeks early in Nairobi. So she was born. We took her back to Tanzania. We were living in a very small village right on the coast of Tanzania. I was breastfeeding her, of course, but she could not hold any food down. She would projectile vomit everywhere. And I thought, what am I going to do? There, were, there was no formula in the stores, nothing. I could find nothing. And I prayed. I said, God, help me. And I went to the store one day, and I was walking through the aisle, and I found a box of Happy Family Porridge. Wow. It was powdered oatmeal. I took it home, and honestly, Aaron, God anointed me. He gave me a recipe, and for, this is how I raised my daughter from the time she was one and a half months old. Happy family porridge, twice the amount of water, boil it, boil it, boil it, throw in a liter of whole milk that I got from the cow next door, a little bit of vanilla flavoring, a little bit of sugar, some children's multivitamin syrup, boil it, boil it, boil it, strain it, strain it, strain it, and she loved it. Hmm. And that child kept it down and she got fat and happy. <laughs> and years later, my pediatrician told me, he said, for a, for a child that was born early that had digestive issues, an oatmeal diet was the perfect diet they could wow. have been on. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. have the internet or anything, but yeah. God helped me. Yeah, for sure. And how did that build confidence, your confidence in God, being in a situation like that, as stressful as a, a new mother and being totally dependent on God and God provided for you? Did that build a foundation for, for going forward when you had Nate and, and trusting God with, with your kids? Trusting him with everything. I mean, if we had time, I could tell you about when I was told that Nicole had worms and, um, and I took her to the doctor and the Lord spoke to people in America in a meeting and they stopped the meeting and prayed for her and God healed her. I could tell you about the time that we were in the village and um, on a pastor's house after church on Sunday and Nicole ate some kind of a poisonous plant in their yard and began to foam at the mouth and God touched her. Yeah. Um, you just, I knew where I had to go when I needed help and yeah. he never failed me. Amen. Amen. Dana, you and Greg have been, um, you, you shared about living in Tanzania and living on the coast, but a lot of the, your time in ministry has been in leadership positions. And we know that a lot of times in leadership positions, trying to find that clarity of balance between ministry and, um, and family health and family involvement. How have, uh, as a mother and um, as a leader, how have you found balance or how have you found clarity in trying to walk through those, those situations? I think one thing that I that I thought about was that I had my priorities were my kids, 
my priority was my family. Hmm. And that didn't mean that I ignored the mission or the ministry. Mm-hmm. That meant that they were my priority. And if when my kids were infants and Greg was out in a village all day long on Sunday, I, if I chose not to go with him, I chose to stay at home where they could eat and they could sleep and they could rest and it didn't cause stress on him. I knew I was doing the right thing. Mm. As they got older, there were times where I had to make choices. Do I stay and I go to their sports event that's going to be a once in a lifetime thing or do I go out with Greg and do this trip and travel? These issues of balance. And I had to remember to embrace the season of life that I was in. That's good. Never, never begrudging where I was at. Hmm. Knowing that I don't have a degree. Maybe I'll get my degree later. That's okay. I don't have to get my degree now because I'll never get another opportunity to be with my kids now. Hmm. There will be another season of life. And trusting God with that, taking advantage of that season in life. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so those different seasons, um, what advice would you give for, you know, in that waiting time in those things? What did, so you found value in ministry in different areas. Um, and what advice would you have for young families? Maybe it's a young mom that's staying at home. Maybe it's a, uh, a father who doesn't feel like he can go out and do as much ministry because he has a family. Um, what advice would you give to, to young families that are walking through that? And uh, they might feel a, a, a tension and pressure to be out doing ministry 24-7. But at the same time, what I heard you say was, my family was my primary ministry and uh, my primary responsibility. Do you have any wisdom or advice for young families that might be in that situation today? Well, you do have to make your priorities. And the Lord will honor you for that. At the same time, you're a missionary, you're living in Africa. And one thing that came to my mind when you asked me that question was, as a mother and a father, love Africa. Hmm. Love Africa, love Africans, love African church, love the language, love the food, love the culture, love the experience. And as you embrace that and love that, and you bring your kids along with you, they learn to love Africans. They love to learn the language. They love the food. They love the culture. They love the country. They love everything about it. And everything is healthier and happier when that is the situation. You know, they say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) And if mama's happy, if mama goes to church, and if mama has to, if the children have to go to the bathroom and you're willing to take them out to the lawn drop at the back of the church, they, they love that. Your kids will love that. You are giving them a gift mm. that so many kids around the world never have the opportunity to even be given. You're opening their mind, their worldview, their hearts. Um, you're just giving them things that, that, are invaluable, absolutely invaluable. So what I hear you saying, Dana, is that to concentrate on the things, because I think sometimes young families and parents, I have older kids now, sometimes we concentrate on all the things our kids are missing out on maybe in their home country. But what I hear you saying is there are so many benefits and there's such um, opportunities for our kids culturally to see a world that that they would never see if they lived maybe in the United States. Is that, is that what you're sharing? 
It is. And something that you don't really, I don't think anything prepares you for as a parent. Um, for me, especially because Greg was a missionary kid. He grew up in Africa. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Africa and there were times when I would, I would step back and I'd look at my kids' lives and I would, I would think of all the things that they were missing, missing out on mm -hmm. that I had been, that I had in my life when I was growing up. And I had to realize that their childhood experience was not going to be like mine. Hmm. It was going to be different, yeah. but that was okay. Yeah. That was a positive thing. Embrace that. Encourage that. It is their life. It is who they are. And God will use that in their life in amazing ways. Don't fight it. Yeah, that's good. Love it. That's good. Dana, the other part of that question would be, say um, there's a young family serving on a team. What advice would you have for maybe the, or wisdom would you have for maybe some missionaries that their their kids are maybe moved back to the United States or to a different season of life? How can they help? How can they help and walk us walk along young families? I remember back, I guess the reason I asked the question is, is because when Heather and I arrived in, in Madagascar, Isabel was three, Josiah was one, and the Rostfers and the Lashways and the Providas were so loving and caring for us. And that meant a lot. And so what advice would you have for people that are serving with fam young families to make them feel included, to make them feel part of the team, and maybe not necessarily make them feel judged because they can't be at everything like they can? I have two thoughts when you ask me that question. The first thought is for the young family that has the children, um, do everything that you can to learn to be flexible and still be involved in the team and be a part of the team. I don't want to be misunderstood, but without allowing your children, they are your priority, but without allowing them to control the team. Hmm, that's good. Adjust your schedule for the team. If it's the good, if it's the right, the best thing for the team, make that adjustment. Yeah. Stretch yourself. The other part of that is, as young parents with young kids value that team that you've got around you, whether the team is older people, whether the, let me just tell you, the singles on our teams are invaluable. You don't live in America anymore, so you're not at a place where you're part of a church family or a school family or your own direct family. You're not part of that but you still need the input of the wisdom of other people. I wanted my aunt, the aunts and uncles of my kids. I wanted them to pour into my kids' lives. Mm. I welcomed that. How many times were there things that I knew that I needed to, well, let me just say, how many times did I know there were things that needed to be said to my kids? Yeah. And I could say them, but my kids weren't going to hear them from me. That's true. That is true. But if I had allowed this relationship between other aunts and uncles, God would speak to them and then mm. they would say things to my kids and my kids would listen. And yeah. it was so valuable. It was such treasure that was yeah. put into my kids' lives. So welcome those relationships. Welcome yeah. them. Yeah, that's good. That's good because it's, you're right. A lot of times I, I, say, I try to put people in Josiah and Isabel's life who will say the same thing that I want to say, but they're not going to hear it from me. And uh, it, it is common for parents in, in that process. So when you think, um, as you, we were talking about family health and um, as we walk through that, 
what advice, what helps you find clarity, um, Dana, when you look at being in leadership and, and family and um, as you walk down that, how are you, how do you find that, that balance and keeping your family healthy and then also leading at a very high level? Because you and Greg lead at a very high level and uh, finding that is not, not so easy. So is there any, is there just one thing that you do that, that helps you provide, helps provide clarity for you? I think um, the advice that I would give is to finding clarity is to be sure that you know who you are, you know mm. who your giftings are, and you really know who you're not, mm. and you know what who your what your giftings are not. Yeah, and you embrace that. Yeah, and I think back to my first years in Africa when I went. There were two particular missionary women who had each been in Africa close to 40 years. They were very close friends of mine, very strong, very strong mentors in my life. And they, they taught me so much, but both of these ladies were traditional ministers, preachers, teachers. And I put an expectation on myself Mm -hmm. to be who I thought they were and who they expected me to be. And maybe they did expect me to be just like them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter was that was not my gifting. Mm -hmm. And my gifts, administration, organization, um, hospitality, doing the books, uh, setting up meetings, all this kind of stuff. Over time, I learned that those were gifts. Mm -hmm. And I used those gifts. And because I used those gifts... I feel like I was such a valuable part of the team. Yeah. I did it. I, I did what I did and I did it very well. Yeah. And things went very well because I did that. Yeah. At the same time, so that's my clarity. I know who I am. Yeah. But at the same time as I've walked in life and grown in leadership, I have lived with this thought in mind. God, if you put something before me, an open door. I will trust you and I will walk through that open door, even if I feel like it's not in my gifting. Hmm. So over the past several years, people have asked me to speak at different events, to teach at different events. And I have always with fear and trepidation, fasting and prayer, I have said, <laughs> okay, God, I'll do it. And the Lord has helped me and he's honored me. Yeah. And I, I feel like um, it has taught me to grow. It has stretched me. Mm-hmm. And it does clarify what my real gifts are, but it also shows me who God is and what he can do through a willing heart. Amen. 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 That's good. And, and so you talked about um, there was two ladies and they were missionary, older lady missionaries that were there. Did you seek them out for mentorship or did they seek you out? Or do you think do you think that's important for for our female leaders to find other females on the field to to learn from and grow from? Do you think that's valuable, Dana? It's it's extremely valuable. It's extremely valuable. Uh, the the two particular ladies that I was talking about, um, one I did not necessarily quote unquote seek out. Right. Uh, it was Greg's mom, and so oh. she was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The second lady that I sought out was uh, Marilyn Ford, who was a very good friend of Greg's mom, but she and Glenn were legends. Mm. And she was going to be someone in my life that was through the years. She was a true mentor to me. Mm. Um, yes, 
it is very important that we seek out mentors, that we have relationship. And um, something that I thought about earlier was in this walk of life, we do learn that it's very true that iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And we need to be rubbing up against the shoulders of other people. Yeah. You know, my kids, when my kids were growing up and they were home, something they, they became very weary of me telling them throughout life, a piece of advice was, okay, kids, you're around all these adults, all these aunts and uncles, and you say to me, you know, I really like this, this uncle over here. I like when he does that or when he, when he says this. Right. If you like it, make it part of your life. Hmm, that's good. There's word. other times when my kids would come to me and they would say, I don't like that aunt or that uncle. Right. I don't like that. They're rude. They're mean. Right. They're selfish. I don't like it when they act that way. Why didn't they shake this person's hand? Why did they act that way? Okay. If you don't like it, observe it and keep it out of your life. That's good. That's good. That's good. What's, what's one, what's a, a lesson that you learned from Mrs. Ford? You said she was a mentor and iron sharpens iron. What is one, is there one lesson or one story you can tell that you, that really has helped you in ministry and has in balancing and finding clarity in family? Marilyn, I thought taught me the great gift of hospitality hmm. to a deep level. She taught me on the spur of the moment to have things in my freezer to be prepared so that when pastors came by, I welcomed them in the house no matter what time of the day or night it was. There could always be a pot of chai on the stove and we can serve chai and have banana bread and we can greet and we can talk. She taught me, um, she taught me that it wasn't just about me. Mm -hmm. The way that I was viewed by national pastors and the national church reflected on Greg. Hmm. It reflected on their respect or lack thereof for him. Hmm. Um, she taught me how important it was to do women's ministries and be involved with the women's department of the national church. She, ta she took me along to meetings <laughs> where we slept in dorm rooms with the African ladies and they had a set time at 4.30 every morning, and we were out in the hall with them with our congas wrapped around us, praying in the spirit, yeah. asking the Lord to bless us for the day. Um, she just took me on a lot of adventures, and yeah. she taught me to love Africa. Yeah, so she, so she took you along. So you learned from, because she brought you along with her. She didn't necessarily sit you down and give you uh, uh, lessons as far as teaching you something, but she took you along and you learned a lot from, from going with her. Is that, is that what you're saying, Dana? That's right. She taught me to, she taught me to speak the language. Yeah. She taught me the value of speaking the language. She taught me how to go to the markets and shop. She shared her recipes with me. Um, we had holidays together and she taught me how to celebrate American holidays when it's 103 degrees outside. <laughs> And it's supposed to be Christmas time. Um, she was just amazing. Yeah. You shared about hospitality. And, um, you know, in, in the American culture, which is where most of the audience is coming from the American culture into an African culture, another culture. In, in the U.S., at least in my experience, having people to your home in hospitality is not as common, um, at least in my experience in West Virginia. And when I was a kid growing up, we'd have people stop in, but that's not as common now. And so what, 
is it important to be is hospitality still important in Africa? And could you just share a little bit about that? Because you said that's one of your giftings. How have you found hospitality to be a vital role for a missionary family serving in Africa? It's all about relationship. And that hospitality builds that relationship. One of the first houses that we lived in in Tanzania had a huge yard. And way up at the top of the yard was the gate. And when we first moved there, pastors would come by to see us and we would go up and welcome them in the gate and we'd walk down the hill with them, holding their hand and would welcome them into the house, have them sit on the sofa and offer them chai and something to eat. And I cannot tell you how many of those pastors said, you know, we were never allowed in this house before. Hmm. In years past, we would come to the gate and we would knock on the gate and the missionary that lived here would open the gate. This is someone that no one today would know. They would right. not know the name. Right. This person's been up in heaven with Jesus for many years now. Yeah. But the missionary would open the door and from the front door, not even greet, just yell, what do you want? Hmm. And the pastors would yell back down the hill and the missionary would say yes or no and close the door. Wow. And those pastors said, we always wondered what it was like inside this house. Hmm. And it was just such a wonderful thing to build a relationship with them. And on another level, we taught our kids from the time they were little. When pastors came to the house, I don't care what my kids were doing, playing, watching on TV or a video or in the yard, my kids stopped and came in the house shook hands and greeted the pastor and stood there while he greeted them. Then they mm. could go play. They could go do their thing. Right. And when it was time to go, my kids were called back into the house to shake hands, stand there and pray and say goodbye to the pastor. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And my kids, I know, treasured those times. Yeah. They treasured it. They loved it. Yeah. And they feel like that was, again, in a way, a gift that we gave them yeah. that has been so valuable to them for their whole entire life. You're a natural at this, Dana, because that was going to be my next question. Um, you know, you shared about the hospitality and I was going to go into how did that, how did your children, how did the family, was that something that was a benefit or so you answered the question and um, you're, you're a natural at this. So I appreciate it. I think that is, it is what you're saying is it's how we perceive and how we present it to our children and to our family. If it's begrudgingly or here's somebody at the gate and da, 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 da. But if we can present that to our children, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to learn about respect and, and, be, and opening our home and love. And the, the reason we're in Africa is to share the love of Jesus Christ. If we can't respect people and, and have them in our home, then uh, it does open a lot of questions. So you're in a different season of life now. You're a grandmother. Um, could you share just a little bit about your grandkids? Yes. So our daughter married another wonderful African MK, and they're pastoring a church out in West Texas, and they have three wonderful grandkids. Brexley is four and a half, Asher is two and a half, and Levi is one and a half. Wow. And so at this different new season um, uh, of life, and we've talked a little bit about season now, you're being an, being a grandmother. How are you balancing that? Because that is a pool, you know, if you now you have not only your children, but you have grandkids and you're also very much actively involved in ministry. Has that been a joy? Has there been tension there or how have, how have you find, um, how have you found clarity in that? 
I think it has been an interesting journey. They're still our kids. We still love them. And we can still offer advice, but it doesn't mean they take it. (laughs) And it's a wonderful thing to watch them grow and make decisions on their own. But your focus does change. It does release a little bit of the pressure from you as a parent to them. But your focus becomes now a matter of spiritual the prayers that we pray over them are so different. We pray over those grandkids. Oh God, please, even now when they're tiny, let them love you. Let them know the stories about you. Let it seep into their hearts, Lord. Give Tyler and Nicole wisdom as they parent that they make the right decision because as a parent, you are always, always living and parenting for the future. Hmm. It's good. Whatever you do today is laying a foundation for tomorrow. Do you want your kids to grow up and to be respectable adults? Then you have to teach your kids to respect other people today. Yeah. Um, do you, you have to do things now for the future. Do you want your kids to love God? You have to take the time today yeah. to teach them about God, especially as a missionary. You have to somehow be intentional about those family Bible studies or their devotional time or the worship music that's at your house or, or with us, it was Dan and Louie. When my kids yeah, were growing uh, up, those Santa Dan and household too. Yep. That's it. Every night playing yep. Dan and Louie, but you have to live with the future in mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, it's uh, you know, I'm, I, one day we will be grandparents. We're not there yet. And uh, I, I keep telling Isabel, maybe when she's 45, she can get married. Yeah. Uh, and so, but it, it will come, it will come to our house too. But I do know it's, um, it is a, a different season, a different season of life. Dana, what, what is something that you're excited about? As you look, look forward to Africa, you look forward to family. What's something when you think about this puts joy in your heart? Oh, when I think about Africa and family, I'm very excited. I think Africa is, I think we have the greatest team in AGWM, the Mm. greatest family in AGWM. I see these, these young missionaries that are, they're raising these kids to love Jesus. They're involved in their national churches. They're writing their ISPs. They have vision and focus. They're driven, but they're, they're all about the love. They love to get together and be a part of the team. It's just the future is bright. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is this whole concept of team. Yeah. We're not people that are out there on our own anymore doing our own thing. Yeah. We're working together. Yeah. And that is such a healthy thing. Yeah, that's good. It's wonderful. That's good. And do you have do you have a story before we, we close in prayer? Do you have just a story that you if you think about your family in Africa and just a story, they could either be a funny story or a, a, when you think of your family living in Africa, is this just a story that comes to mind um, that might encourage our audience today? I was thinking about this um, earlier and, and looking back, you know, I remember a time we had moved to Nairobi. Nate was in sixth or seventh grade, and we hadn't been there very long. Peter and Judy, the superintendent of the Kenya Assemblies of God, which is a strong, powerful national church, came over to our house one night, and the kids had greeted him, and then we had talked and shared, and we were building relationship with him, and 
he left to go. And so Nate and Nicole came out to say goodbye. And then we were all walking him up the driveway to get in his car. And Nate ran back to the house, came back out to the driveway and came up to brother and Judy and out of Nate's own money gave him 500 shillings hmm. because he was starting this, uh, the program to reach the street kids in mm -hmm. Kenya. And he had been talking about it that night. And I thought, thank you, Lord. Thank yeah. you, Lord, that I am seeing something in my son's life that honors you because of choices that we have made and decisions yeah. that we have made. And surely this says, God, that you are working in our life and that yeah. we have honored you. Yeah. And another, another memory, when Nicole got married, and she and Tyler, he's also an African MK, and they wanted Brother and Judy, that superintendent, hmm. to officiate their wedding. Hmm. They wanted him there. He was their pastor. Yeah. And what a wonderful thing to see that your kids do love Africa yeah. and that they, they loved the life that they had. There is no greater joy. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Dana, will you pray for our audience today? Will you pray for young families that are that maybe are, are just what you talked about, uh, learning and growing in Africa? Maybe there's maybe there's grandparents that have kids that are living on the other side of the ocean and and they're FaceTiming and Skyping them and they're, they're walking through that, the different seasons of life. And just pray that God will give each of our families um, wisdom and insight and uh, clarity as they, they follow Jesus and, and their mission. I will. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this wonderful family that you've put together in the Africa house. Lord, I lift up before you all the families that are out there with young kids. These kids are growing in all, in all different stages of life. And these parents need your help and they need your wisdom and they need your anointing as they minister and as they lead their families. Lord, I pray that you be with them in special ways today, Lord. If someone is there and they need you to intervene in a very special way, even a miraculous way, be there for them, God, I pray today. Lord, I pray for our teams that they would, they would be a true family together, that they would love on all of these MKs and love on the families and that they would continue to be together, working together, loving and supporting one another and honoring you in all that they do. Lord, may our lives truly reflect you. May we work together to build your kingdom and plant your church and take advantage of this opportunity that you have put before us. May we give our giftings to you and lay them at your feet, we do pray, for your glory in your name. Amen. Amen.